Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, goodly morning to you. Goodly morning to you. How, how's your weekend been? Not bad, actually. Fairly chilled, fairly relaxed. Went to see Black Panther on uh, yesterday, yesterday afternoon. Went and saw uh-huh. it in the big IMAX cinema thing. It's good. It's a good movie. It's enjoyable. Yeah, I've heard it's really good. Mm, I recommend it. I recommend it. It is uh, it's good fun. Good fun. There's moments where you think, oh, they're beginning to get a bit up their own arse here. And then they just sort of save it with a perfectly timed bit of comedy. And the comedy doesn't right. go over the top either. But uh, no, I thought it was uh, I thought it was really good. Apart from the whole, you know, having to go to the cinema thing, which annoys me. I, I just... Um, what annoys you about the cinema? Is it the other people? Mm, yeah. Just being surrounded by so many people. And, you know, I, if the cinema's kind of empty, I'm all right with that. That's good. I can enjoy the movie. I don't have to worry about the person in front of me, beside me, behind me. But it's the relentless eating. I have a problem with the noise of people eating. I can't deal with it, you know. It's uh, it's just one of those things that once I start hearing it, and there was uh, a lady behind me who was eating popcorn, and all I could hear for about the first 40 minutes was, I've heard crunching popcorn, you know, and uh, I find that that really irritating. And as well, the amount of people who, despite the fact it is the rudest thing in the world, continue to use their mobile phones in a dark room in a cinema is just fucking unbelievable. It should be legal, shouldn't it, to give those people a slap in the back of the head if they're using their mobile phone in a cinema, I think if there was a rule, like the you know the way they put up on the the screen, you know, please turn off your mobile phones. The the emergency exits are over there. Blah blah blah. There should be a rule that if you see the person in front of you using their mobile phone, it's okay to just like give them a smack in the back of the head, and they'd I stop. I think that is okay. Yeah. I think that's the the law of the cinema. I think it's you know a domain unto itself. I think if if people do that, I think that's reasonable. But hang on, are you not contributing to this noise in any way? You're not eating anything in the cinema. No, or are you I, just eating very quietly. No, I mean I I eat um, you know at normal times and in normal places, like in my kitchen. I have my lunch. I don't go to the cinema to have my fucking lunch. I don't walk into a cinema where I'm going to be sitting beside people with a hot dog and a big thing of nachos and a crunchy popcorn. 
you know, I, I get it. Popcorn in the cinema, it's, you know, it's what people do. I just, I just don't like it. I think the range of food should be, um, it should be restricted to only soft foods that come in paper bags. None of this plastic bag bullshit. Anyone that eats a bag of crisps in the cinema as well should get their slap in the back of the head as well. You know, they get it not just... What would be an acceptable food then? Like, are you dishing out soup? Then you'd have the slurp. What would you like people to get in a cinema? Jellies. Jellies. Fudge. A paper bag of jellies. Marshmallows. Um... Other soft things, you know, a sandwich, you know, even just a normal sandwich, cheese and ham sandwich, I could live with that. But it's the yeah. crisps, the people that go in and they eat the not just a regular packet of Walker's crisps. You know those ones that they get in the fancy bags now, like um, O'Donnell's or you know, kettle chips and all that kind of stuff. And these yeah, aren't just yeah, crisps. Yeah. These are like baked or fried to a hardness that you could probably construct a dwelling out of. And when people eat those, it's like just the monstrous crunch noise is it's too much. It's too much. So that for that yeah. reason, I, I, I tend to avoid like big movies in the cinema, but I really wanted to go see Black Panther. So I was, you know, you've got to put up with the whole place being full. So, man, don't go to the cinema in India. That's all I can say to you. I mean, it would be a nightmare for you. Why? What happens? And and just before you tell me what happens here, one of our commenters on Ars blog this morning told me that in South Korea, the the snack of choice for uh, the cinema is actually dried squid. Wow. Yeah, I mean that's dried squid. Dried squid in the fucking cinema. What's that? Would that would that be crunchy or not? I guess it would be if it was very dry. Dried, yeah, dry. I guess. So, bleh. but in India, I mean, you get a whole variety of snacks. You do actually, you can actually get popcorn in most cinemas. But I went to the cinema to see a film called Tiger Zinder High, which is like the action film of the moment in India. Right. It's about a man called Tiger who goes on a mission. And I mean, it, it was not in English. So I've got a very loose understanding of the plot. But basically, <laughs> he goes on a mission and kills a bunch of guys. So but hang on, you, you went reason- and you sat through a film. In it's three hours long. It's three hours long, <laughs> and it's not in English, and it didn't have subtitles. No, he'll throw in the occasional word of English. I don't know if that was just for my benefit. I appreciated it, but you know, I'll be honest with you. It's not the most sophisticated plot. You can. Uh, it's actually a sequel, and I've I of course hadn't seen Tiger's first endeavor, but I was able to uh, to to get to gather what was going on pretty quickly. Right. I mean, honestly, check out the trailer, Tigers in High. It's an extraordinary movie. But okay. in the Indian cinemas, people get really into it. I mean, every time this guy came on the screen, people were screaming, like screaming really? uh, at the top of their voices, yeah, to sort of herald his arrival on screen and shouting abuse at the villains. And, I mean, you would, honestly, you would be despairing. But it's an experience. <laughs> Wow. Um, okay. So, what were they eating in the cinema there? This is the this is where I think you were going with this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, it's partly the noise of the people, but the food. There is quite a lot of food being consumed. What are they eating? I feel like nuts. A lot of people are eating nuts. There were like uh, like seeds as well in like a kind of aniseedy mm. um, wrapping. Uh, and as I say, there was popcorn, but there was a lot of chat as well. Right. People wandering in and out. No, no, thank uh, you. No, 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 no. Less no, of no. the mobile phones thing. They're right. more observant about that. So Yeah, they're you know, more observant of the mobile because they're too busy standing around talking to each other in the yeah, cinema. True. Well, you, who needs to ring someone when you can just lean over? Yeah. 
Hey, Mick. But I liked the kind of social nature of it. I liked how, uh, you know, I liked what, uh, you know, there was a kind of a true crowd experience, almost a theatrical experience. Bit of pantomime. If you want the... Exactly. It was very almost on that on that line. But if you want the purity of, you know, you and the big screen, it's not the one for you. Mm. No, 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 not for me. I think I'd find that far too, uh, far too distracting. I do like a movie, though. I like the idea of a movie where even if it's in a foreign language, you can quite clearly follow what's going on. Um, yeah, it's quite fun. Yeah, it's wasn't there fun. a couple of movies like called The Raid or something like that where it's basically, I think it's in Korean, could be, and basically it's just this guy going around kicking the absolute shit out of everyone. And that's really all you need mm. to know. I don't need to know why he's doing it. I don't know what his end goal is. Like I had the subtitles and everything else, but you know, if you didn't have the subtitles, you could quite easily follow, oh, here he goes, there's some people oh look he's kicking the shit out of them brilliant right he's in a completely different scenario now and there's some oh he's kicking the shit out of them fuck now he's hitting them with plates it's amazing just you know you can switch off and and just enjoy a guy kicking the shit out of everyone tigers into high is very much like that and you know because all the heroes talk in a certain way and look a certain way and all the villains talking another way and it's quite clear who they are and the ominous music makes it very clear who they are. Mm. There are kind of damsels in distress, these nurses who have been captured um, and basically he's on a mission to rescue them whilst, you know, having a few... romantic dance sequences with his love interest. It is a great film. I As really enjoyed it. As you do. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's what you do. All right, well, look, there's the, uh, there's the cinema chat for everyone. We should talk about the football. Yeah, did you watch any football this weekend? No. No, not a uh. single bit. Not a single bit. I saw that Deli Ali did a dive again. He's good at that. Just another he? weekend. Yeah, just a just regular old weekend. weekend, yeah. Um, no, I, I, I didn't watch anything. There was no Arsenal, obviously, and the FA Cup. Uh, it's not that I don't like the FA Cup, but it's very rare mid-season, apart from an inter- interlull, that you're going to get a, a weekend free of Arsenal almost completely. And uh, yeah, I, I took the opportunity to not watch any football. Did you watch some? Or? I did. I was watching the the Rochdale game. Mm. Um, it looked like there was going to be an upset, but then the bigger and better club grabbed a late equaliser. <laughs> um, no, I, I, yeah, I did actually enjoy that. I really enjoyed the, the, the late Rochdale goal. Um, I mean, you know, it doesn't, re- I mean, it doesn't really do anything for me. The FA Cup at the moment, it just reminds me that we're out of it and yeah. it's not very fun to, yeah. to watch. Um, um, the, but I, I did see that and I saw all the hullabaloo over uh, the Manchester United goal that was disallowed the, oh. the VAR goal did you see that no no I told you I didn't see anything so you, you might have to explain this one to me I didn't even oh, read wow. about football so go on tell me okay so Juan Mata um, United were 1-0 up at Huddersfield and then Juan Mata scored to make it 2 I think from an Ashley Young pass he looked pretty much level and then uh, the referee after the ball was in the net so kind of signalled for the VAR Right, and the the VAR happened, and uh, they've got this thing on the telly now where they show you supposedly the pictures that the official who's making the decision based on technology sees, 
And remarkably, I don't know if you saw this image doing the round, but the the picture that he was using to assess uh, whether or not Matter was onside or offside had these kind of horizontal lines drawn across the pitch to right. help with the offside decision. But they looked as if they had been drawn in crayon um, <laughs> by a child. <laughs> like they weren't even straight lines. It was absolutely amazing. Wow. Uh, it, it was surreal, to be honest. And then they disallowed the goal. Based on the and crayon half, lines. Based on the crayon lines, but then at half time, um, they hurriedly put out another picture with straight lines and said, "No, no, 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 that isn't the the picture we were using. That was just a rogue picture. We don't know where that came from. Here's the the correct picture that we definitely, definitely had access to and used 15 minutes ago." Um, right. So it it was it wasn't the most convincing use of the technology when you actually broke it down uh one matter's knee was offside right so technically it, they had to wait about two or three minutes i think it was two, two to three minutes before the decision was made uh but technically it, it, they did get the ruling correct but it was a quite a farcical mm. uh manner of going about it and uh, one of the most interesting things about it was that after the game uh, it, was, it was actually a decision that benefited Huddersfield. You know, it's a goal yeah. against them that didn't uh, that didn't count. And yet the Huddersfield manager came out and said it was a farce and it killed the game, like it killed the atmosphere in the stadium and that he was sort of a, a, against it. So it's interesting that even someone who had benefited from it was like, oh, no, I, I don't like it. Yeah, this me. is bullshit. Yeah, that doesn't sound like it's much fun. Um, what are you making of it? Uh you know, I think there's a way to use video technology that doesn't impact the game in such a negative way, because that is a really negative impact on a game. If you're saying it was two or three minutes of waiting around and then they drew crayons on a picture and that was what they were. I mean, it doesn't reflect well on anybody. Uh, you know, I think we we're losing sight of what's really important with football. And that is, OK, look, it's not the the, the only thing, but the fans inside the stadium are sitting there waiting while everyone else in the world is watching some crazy shit unfold on TV. They don't have access to that. And I think that is going to have a profoundly negative impact on the experience for fans in the stadium. And ultimately that then reflects on how we all experience the game, because you can tell, even if you're watching on TV, if there's a, a really good game, you can sense the atmosphere and the atmosphere can actually really um, affect the momentum of a game. Can't it? You know, you can, Mm. You can sense that the crowd are maybe having an impact on the players or the way that they're playing, like if it's very hostile or if it's very positive. And if they're just sitting there like bored, then that's going to be a, a poor thing. I think really the way football should have gone was using video technology more for retro uh, retrospective punishments, which I know they introduced this season, but we've barely seen. Um, yeah. And I, I did speak about this on the Arscast a couple of weeks back with uh, Ken Early. He was on and we spoke about VAR and, and the the effect that it's having on decisions where it's not getting decisions right. You know, um, they've addressed the decisions in other countries and they're showing that there's a... There's a situation developing where even with video assistant uh, referees, decisions are being got wrong by the video evidence, and it's becoming a crutch for referees. Um, maybe there is only one way to do it, and that is to introduce some kind of challenge system whereby the use of VAR is taken away from uh, referees 
who don't then have any decision or don't have any um, influence on when it's used, but with managers who can use maybe two challenges during a game if they feel like VAR can have a positive effect on a decision for them. Um, because mm-hmm. then, it, then it becomes part of a tactic, uh, and, and that will have its own issues. But as long as referees can fall back on this, and will continue to fall back on it more and more, I think we're going to see um, we're going to see this have a, a negative impact on the game. I think it's a shame because th- there must be a way to use the technology to get more decisions right. But then ultimately, who is who is it for? This was the question I was asking Ken. What, who is VAR for? Is it for players? Is it for managers? Is it for clubs? Is it for fans? Is it for TV? Is it for broadcast entertainment? And that's what it seems to be. That if every time VAR is being used this season that we've seen it in England, I know it's only just started because we had it in the in the Carabao Cup semifinals and, and some of the FA Cup. Um, it seems that the fans in the stadiums are, are the ones who are... Um, being most negatively affected because they don't have a clue what's going on, even to the point where they don't know if VAR is being used or not. Yeah. I think another group of people who that VAR is for uh, is the referees. I mean, I think they're one of the big driving forces behind it. I think they, for the most part, apparently want, want it. They want the support of the technology, uh, probably to protect them from criticism to an extent. So mm. that must be, I guess, another consideration in it. I, I think that you're right. It, it's easy to see how it could work for TV. I mean, it, it needs to be better than it is. But if, for example, they were to actually broadcast the conversation between the officials, uh, yeah. if they were mic'd up in that point, suddenly there is an element of tension and intrigue rather than just watching a guy holding a finger to his ear. Right? Mm. That could work uh, for television. The problem is, like, is for the people who are in the grounds, and you know, some stadiums where VAR is being implemented, there isn't even a big screen, so you can't even have a graphic saying, you know, VAR or you know, just showing the decision or anything like that. So, they that, that is really where it's sucking all the atmosphere out of the game, yeah. and that's a harder problem to solve. Do, I mean, do you think at some point they will assess the impact of VAR, and if it has been unsuccessful or not as successful as as they think it would be? I mean, is there a way of rolling back or are we going down a road where it's impossible to come back from, where nobody's going to say, well, uh, we can't figure out how to use this technology well. We'll just continue to blunder along and blindly do what what it does. Um, I'm a bit worried about, about it from that point of view. It does feel, I mean, I know we're still in the experimental phase, but it, there is a kind of inevitability about it. Um, so all we can do is hope that it's shaped into into a superior form than it is currently, you know, mm. at, at this moment. Because at the moment, it is a bit farcical. And if you look at countries where it's been introduced more fully, you know, like Germany, for example, there's been a lot of mm. opposition to it um, because it's not been implemented efficiently. Football is a really hard game to do technology with because some things are objective. I mean, people can complain about this matter offside thing, about the way in which the decision was uh, arrived at, but fundamentally it is kind of an objective thing. He was his, his a goal scoring part of his body was offside. We might look at it and say, well, that's close or that's harsh, but there can be a clear decision made. But there's so much subjectivity mm. in other decisions. Yeah, you know, you look at the Spurs Liverpool game not not long ago. 
uh, it's never going to be absolute, is it? There's still going to be question marks, however much technology you, you put into it. Yeah, that's exactly what Ken was saying about the about the two referees, Dermot Gallagher and Mark Clattenburg, both of whom watched the incidents again um, without any pressure on them. They came to two completely different conclusions. Dermot Gallagher said both were penalties. Mark Clattenburg said neither was a penalty. and uh, Or maybe the other way around, I don't know which. But uh, it just shows you that, you know, decisions aren't black and white. It's not as easy to get things right as we would like to think it is. Um, so, yeah, I think it's... Uh, it's a bit concerning. Maybe though, I, I assume they're going to use VAR in the in the Carabao Cup final, are they? Uh, I would think so. We had it in the semi, didn't yeah. we? I think against Chelsea. So, I, I must say, I I approve of the appeal model. You know that you see mm. in some other sports. I I think because once again, to go back to this one matter example, my understanding is that the linesmen who are working with VAR are kind of encouraged to keep their flag down in situations where it looks close mm. and then they will reflect on the on the VAR. But that um, that kind of absolves them of a bit of responsibility, you know, and, and sort of slightly takes them out of the game. I mm. think that the officials should officiate the games as they always have done and that if the managers had, say, as you suggest, two appeals per game, um, that that might be the way to go. Mm. But is two appeals enough to help us deal with Mike Dean? That's the real question. <laughs> well, um, I, I don't know about that, but maybe two appeals is enough. I think um, maybe if you get a successful appeal, you keep your two appeals and you you, right. you lose one if, I don't know how you how you would do it. But just to confirm that, yes, VAR will be in use in the Carabao Cup final. Craig Pawson is the referee. Neil Swarbrick will be the um, video assistant referee. Uh, and he will be supported by another guy called Peter Kirkup, whoever he is, and he's going to be the assistant video uh, assistant referee. He's the assistant VAR, so he's the assistant video assistant referee. There's a title. There's an, there's an assistant VAR. Yeah. Where's he? Because the VAR guy is never at the game, is he? He's like holed up in, I don't know, the Premier League's offices or mm. something like that. So the assistant's probably... I don't know, in America, on the moon, <laughs> as Most, far away as yeah. they could possibly put him. I don't know, yeah. I would assume just beside uh, Neil Swarbrick, though, right? Just so he can say, I mean, that would be an amazing Rewinding. thing. Rewinding. Yeah. Do, what do you think, penalty? <laughs> no, not a penalty for me. Oh, fuck. Now what do we do? The The yeah. assistant video assistant referee is disagreeing with the video assistant referee, and the referee is actually waiting for a decision from both of those. Neither of them can agree. The fans are sitting there for a while. What do they do? Flip a coin? They should at least have an odd number watching so they can, you know, achieve a majority. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um, Well, look, we'll wait and see. Maybe we'll all love VAR uh, after next Sunday's Carabao Cup final. We could think it's the best thing ever, but equally we could be bemoaning it next Monday as well. Um, We'll have to wait and see. Did you see... um, I mean... Go on. Go on. No, 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 no. I thought you were going to say something. I was just going to say, I can't believe, you know, we've taken so long to get get to it. You've... We talked about there being no Arsenal news, but the the thrilling news of our Emirates deal extending. Yes, we do have that. I was going to talk about that maybe in the questions because I think we might have a couple of questions on it. So, okay. um, yeah, I mean, it is a, an extension to the the Emirates sponsorship deal um, running to 2024, 20, something like that. Um, interestingly, Arsenal haven't released any figures Although um, some people are speculating that it's worth in excess of £200 million. So I don't know what that breaks down to on a per-season basis on top of what we'd already agreed with Emirates. But they are trumpeting the fact 
that this is a a club record, a new record deal, new record sponsorship deal with Emirates. Um, so yeah, I don't know what. I to mean, say look, about the it. main benefit for me is I don't I don't have to learn to call the stadium something else. It'd be That's really handy. weird, wouldn't it, if after all this time, the stadium got a new name? Wouldn't it? It would be really weird. Mm. It would be really weird. I mean, yeah, I. It, obviously, it is a branded name, but we kind of all have accepted it. I remember when the stadium was built, a lot of fans saying, well, I won't be calling it that. I'll be calling it Ashburton Grove. But yeah. That didn't really take off, did it? I mean, it was quite effectively labelled. So uh, I think it yeah, just, it would be yeah. hard to get used to something else. Yeah, you're sort of worn down with this, the relentless, relentlessness mm. of, of the name of the stadium just being repeated over and over again, Emirates Stadium, Emirates Stadium. So it's going to remain Emirates Stadium, obviously, and the, uh, the shirt sponsor uh, will remain Emirates. It seems like there might be room for... Uh, a separate sleeve sponsor, though. I do wonder if that uh, is part of what's going on, um, that we might see a, a separate sleeve sponsorship agreement. That would be nice. Mm. Why not? Let's just cover the shirt in different brands. <laughs> yeah. Just, so it's not even red anymore. Just all logos everywhere. <laughs> I remember doing a Photoshop uh, a while ago before the FA Cup final, and I'd, uh, I think I did one of these... Um, it was like a special shirt that we're going to wear for the for the cup final, and I photoshopped like a load of uh, logos on it, like the Emirates logo, but there was also like Subway and just Starbucks and all that kind of shit on it. It was quite obviously a Photoshop, but the amount of people who thought it was real and got very very angry about it was was quite funny. But I, I mean, it is the way they were going. Didn't Everton have what was the Everton um, Angry Birds? Angry Birds, Angry Birds on yeah. their sleeves. Um, I, you know, you shudder to think what kind of agreement will be made for what's on the, the Arsenal sleeves. I just, I just don't know. I don't know. I mean, it can't be, uh, it can't be that lucrative, can it? The sleeve sponsor. How much would you pay for a sleeve sponsorship for a season? Couple of million? Because it's only tiny. I'd pay more in winter, right? Because you get more more room. Well, that depends. <laughs> on long sleeves. On, that depends on whether we're all wearing long sleeves and short sleeves and all that. So. They need to find some unity on that before we sign that agreement. That's important. Um, um, what about uh, what about um, the other big moment of the weekend? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I know sure, where you're going with well, this. I know you saw it. Yeah. I, I, I know for a fact that you saw it, which is Francis Coquelin finding the net for Valencia. Is that where you thought I was that's, going? That's where I thought you were going, all right. That was indeed the big moment for uh, for the weekend for me. Glancing in ahead of the near post, Coquelin, who went... What, 160 games, something like that, without scoring for Arsenal? He'd only scored once yeah. in his um, in his previous uh, club career. Previous club career? That doesn't make any sense. But he'd only scored once previously. I just got a piece of information here, and that's my brain just turned off for a second. That's why I stumbled over that. Do you want this piece of information? Uh, definitely, yeah. Arsenal in the Carabao Cup final on Sunday are going to wear red shirts, red shorts... And red socks. No way. Yeah. Fuck off. <laughs> I, s- <laughs> I swear to God. That Andrew Allen has just sent me a message through on our little uh, Gmail chat doohickey there. And uh, that's that's the information that he's provided. I don't know where red it's come from. shorts and red socks. Yeah. What? This is... Why? Presumably because... Manchester City wear white shorts. white shorts and white socks. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I mean, that's all wrong. In a cup final as well. That's strange. Haven't we played Manchester City in like the cup semi-final? Normal kits, many Normal times, kits. I'm sure. Isn't there enough distinction between the red shirts and the light blue shirts that people aren't going to get confused about white shorts? I mean, what's that? What's going on there? I don't know. I don't. That's absolutely insane. I mean... It's unconfirmed, any, any, but that's the word. Any dim hope I had of an upset has just <laughs> gone out the window. Mm. I can't imagine an Arsenal team playing well in red shorts. We played earlier this season in, in red we shorts, did. didn't we? Who was yeah. that against? Um, I don't know. I've got a memory of it, though, and it feeling weird. Yeah. And I feel like we... West Brom. West Brom. West Brom was that away that was or the at first home? time in forty years, away from home. Was that a horrible game that we drew or something? Gunners faced West Brom in the, in at the Hawthorns in their final game of twenty seventeen. That was the that was ah yes. Think about the uh, the image of Callum Chambers with his arm in the air. Well, not his arm in the air, but the ball hitting his arm and Mike Dean giving the the penalty. And there he is yes. in his his red shorts. <sighs> Yeah, that was the it was the, the red shorts and red socks that day. Um, What's that? Who's know. making that decision, and why is that decision being made? Who who is insisting that we play with red shorts? Well, on that occasion, apparently, it was because the two other kit options were inappropriate because we have a blue away kit and a black third kit, mm. which were both deemed too similar to West Brom's kits to make a suitable strip. So is it a case now that teams are not allowed to wear the same colour shorts? Is that what the case I, is? I don't know. Premier League rules state, when playing in a league match, the players of each participating club shall wear a strip which is of sufficient contrast to clearly distinguish between the two teams for officials, spectators and television viewers. I do think TV is a factor in this. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Because I'm looking at previous West Brom kits and they used, they were wearing, there's a picture here of uh, Callum Chambers in a game against West Brom from a couple of years ago. West Brom are wearing, they're wearing dark shorts, but maybe West Brom have always had white shorts at home. I don't know. I don't remember. They white shorts. Yeah. But, but the thing is, apparently we had the option, which we neglected to do, we chose not to do, of doing a mix and match kit. Of our, of our various attire. So we could have gone, you know, blue shirt. Well, not probably not blue shirt, but we could have gone, you know, red shirt, black shorts, for example. Right. Blue socks, but we chose not to. Right. Well, I guess all red is better than some sort of hideous mishmash. Yeah, mishmash, a mishmash of mishmash. our hideous terrible mishmash. Well, you know what the you know what you could do is you know actually have a uh, an away kit which distinguishes you from the other teams, which isn't going to impact on uh, you know the uh, yeah. the TV purple a purple <laughs> away kit. Yeah, or you know yellow and blue. How about that? That seemed to be always quite uh, distinguishable. But there you go. So um, we'll have to wait and see if that's confirmed. But, uh, yeah, I don't know why we couldn't just play in our fucking normal home kit. Uh, maybe it's TV. Maybe it's referees needing to see. Is it the red sock that touched the ball? Is it the white sock that touched it's the ball? It's for the VAR. It's for the VAR. Well, you know what they need for now? The VAR all along. 
They need a video assistant kit referee and an assistant video assistant kit referee reporting to the kit referee on the pitch uh, who is keeping track of who's wearing what and why they're wearing it. And I don't know. It's just, it seems like football is getting just much more complicated than it used to be. Is that just me? It just used to be, you know, some guy jumpers for goalposts <laughs> <laughs> out in the out in the park. No, I know what you mean. I do think. It, I mean, I, I'm frustrated by the red kit thing, mm. and it's not something I don't. I think it's not something I would have a problem with. I think I would. I, do you know what? I would back myself to be on that pitch and know that the players in red shirts but white shorts were on my team. And the ones in blue shirts and white shorts were not. Yeah. Now, but, whether you could whether you could actually pass to the players in the red shirts is a different. Oh, that's a different absolutely issue. Absolutely no chance. Different no, but that's that's not what we're discussing. No, we're discussing my vision. As long as I had my incredibly strong glasses on, I would trust myself to make that decision. Would you have to wear like um, Edgar David style goggles? Those kind of um, things. I wouldn't have to. I could wear contact lenses, but mm. I think as a kind of stylistic choice, I would wear the Agadat style uh, glasses and maybe a dreadlock wig as well so that people <laughs> might think I was Agadat. <laughs> no, no, no chance of that. Do you know what would be hilarious? I think a footballer wearing glasses would be really funny, wouldn't it? Like big Mr. Magoo yeah. glasses on him, running around. Imagine he was that, that brief. Just put glasses on people. I don't know. I don't know. You know what I'm very upset about, about the new FIFA I was only thinking about this the other day. They've taken away the ability to um, foul Play after the whistle. Socks. No. Oh. <laughs> after the oh. whistle, there used to be this like one or two second gap where the referee would, you know, uh, if the ball went out for a throw, you could continue and just steam through people. You can't do that anymore. But I am, um, I have become very good at the off the ball foul. Um, I'm pretty much a master oh, nice. at that now. What, how is VAR going to affect FIFA? I'm worried about that. Imagine the loading times. Oh, every goal, you've got to wait five minutes while it loads up, you know, yeah. a little graphic of a studio. <laughs> I can't bear it. Neil Swarbrick and his mate yeah. in there with a with a game of FIFA in front of them themselves. It's like FIFA <laughs> will eat itself. The assistant video game assistant referee and his assistant assistant video game assistant referee. My goodness. Yeah, yeah. the world is going in a, in a very strange direction. Francis Coquelin goal, though, that's good. Maybe that will, uh, maybe that will uh, make the world a better place for a short period of time. That would be nice. Yeah. Arsene Wenger always used to say, oh, Francis Coquelin's quite good in the air. And I was just a bit, a bit, a bit like, is he? I don't really notice it on the pitch. But, mm. you know, it was a lovely little, lovely little leap and flip. I mean, it was actually quite a sort of nonchalant finish for him given that he never scores he was quite cool about it I mean mm. the celebration was was worth waiting for though you know he was as passionate as you would expect well look on that uh, wonderful moment we might as well leave part one and we're going to come back with your questions and more in part two right after this flexibility is great that's why there's yoga Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two where we answer questions you send to us on Twitter at GunnerBlog and at Arsblog and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. James, while I was doing a little bit of Googling there about the referee and the video assistant referee and the assistant video mm-hmm. assistant referee and all that, uh, I, I noticed a story saying that Man City fans are not happy with the appointment of Craig Pawson as the referee for the Carabao Cup final because it seems they hold a big grudge against him from last season's FA Cup semi-final. Ah. Here's one tweet from someone called This Is Our City, and they say, at FA, appoint corrupt referee Craig Pawson uh, for our Carabao Cup final against Arsenal. He's famous for disallowing a stonewall goal against Arsenal and allows Arsenal to knock and kick David Silva and a few other City players unpunished. We're going to have to beat a 15-man Arsenal. I like how this is not 12-man. He's not just an extra man for us. He's four extra players for us, according to this Manchester City uh, referee. And then there's another one. There's a lot of them wondering, like, if we're going to be allowed kick Man City all over the pitch like we we did in that game you know we're such big hard strong physical nasty mean brutal arsenal you know that reputation we have i think there was one foul mm. wasn't there it was gabrielle uh, on david silva and it was a foul and he got booked i don't know what they wanted perhaps for him to be you know shot out of a cannon into the sun or something like that that would have been just punishment for a foul on the football pitch um they did have that goal though wasn't it there was a <laughs> Was that not yes. disallowed, or was it disallowed for offside or something? I can't remember, but it was absolutely a goal. A Raheem Sterling goal was disallowed because Sane's cross was uh, oh, judged was... to have gone out of play. Yeah, but that was surely not the referee's decision. That would have been the linesman's decision, right? Surely, surely. Mm. And then there were two penalty claims. I'm just looking back over it now. One was for an Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain trip on Sergio Aguero. Probably was. Other, yeah, probably was. <laughs> and the other one was um, uh, we had a penalty claim in that game, actually. Sorry, which was that Navas pulled Alexis Sanchez. That was apparently the most obvious decision, but it, it wasn't given. Uh, and yeah, then the Gabriel. So, I mean, Keith Hackett, who's some sort of, you know, emperor of the referees, wrote a column after the game saying Craig Pawson had four big decisions to make at Wembley yesterday. Unfortunately, he got them all wrong. Unfortunately. However, three of them went in our direction. So it's funny how we don't really remember that. <laughs> yeah, it is a bit strange. Anyway, look, I'm looking forward to this cup final now. I didn't realise we'd be allowed to have 15 men. And uh, when you consider the damage our all-red kid is going to do us, I think we need that that little bit of extra um, advantage. That's, yeah, so good. But, Andrew, that's not even the big game of the week. I can't believe there's been all this talk about the final it's almost as if you're not that excited about the second leg of Arsenal versus <laughs> Ostersunds. It's strange, isn't it? Because we look down the, the questions that we got and there is not a single question about 
the Europa League <laughs> game on, on Thursday. Uh, and I know we're in a good position from the last game and, uh, you know, we'd be fairly expected to, to win. But normally there's some focus on our next game and uh, people don't seem to give a single shit about it. I, I, maybe it's because they assume the game, the tie is already won, right? I guess it is one, yeah. I mean, it, it would take something extraordinary even by our standards for for it to even be a contest. I do think, though, there's a slightly interesting uh, conundrum facing Arsene Wenger as to if he, if he genuinely leaves out, you know, every player who might play on Sunday. Mm. I don't know if he can quite, quite do that, but it's, it's tempting, isn't it? Because, you know, it's not a huge recovery time. And obviously Sunday has to be the priority at this stage, given that we did the job in Sweden. Yeah, I think he will rotate pretty heavily, to be honest. I think the squad is such that he's going to have to play a few players who will probably be, or in contention at least, for the final on Sunday. But it would be a risk, wouldn't it, you know, to to send out Macedozo, for example, and he picks up a little injury or a knock or, or something and... Um, yeah, I would be I would be very cautious about the team I selected on on Thursday. I think I'd rotate as much as I could, maintaining some quality, but having something in reserve should we need it, and hopefully we won't need it. But to have that to have that bit in reserve if we need to call on it from the bench. But uh, yeah, I mean, you, you got to find the balance, don't you, between momentum. You know, uh, being match fit, being sharp, uh, being confident, having played in a game where you've won and, you know, probably played quite well and also running the risk of, of injury. But I suppose if you if you consider the risk of injury all the time in your team selection, you'd never pick anyone because every game is important. Yeah, that's true. And also there are some cases where, you know, there's a player like, say, Danny Welbeck, who is our only alternative senior striker at the moment, mm. but is in such a, a tricky run of form that you do wonder if it might be beneficial to play him to, to, to get his confidence a little bit better because there's every chance he might have to be involved in some capacity at Wembley. Yeah. yeah. Um, I also wonder if we might see uh, a debut for Mavropanos. I think, you know, you wouldn't want to risk Koscielny. I don't think you'd necessarily want to risk Mustafi either so yeah, I, I wonder if we might see the new boy make his first Arsenal appearance on yeah Thursday. funnily enough I played him in a Carabao Cup semi-final in FIFA 18 career mode and he was absolutely terrible <laughs> well I don't know who is who was that against though Barnsley Do you remember Barnsley. Barnsley okay yeah so they're probably I mean you know Osterson's probably a better side than Barnsley, so yeah, could give him trouble. If FIFA's in any way accurate... Of course, my own personal FIFA experience is, is uh, highly accurate as to how we gauge the talent and ability of, of players. But look, will we get on with a couple of questions? Do you want to go first? Yeah, well, I, I mentioned it there, actually. Uh, but this uh, we've had another question, a couple of questions, actually, about Danny Welbeck. This one's from Jake Varney, who's at Varney Jake on Twitter. And he says, uh, do we persist uh, with Welbeck... Uh, I know we need him for the Europa at present. Or come the summer, do we do something similar to Giroud, Walcott and Sal? Is he even good enough to be a squad player? And then Beardy McBeardface chimed in saying, has Welbeck regressed to the point that he is Sonogo 2.0? Um, 
he's been unconvincing, hasn't he? Um, but mm. it's hard to overlook the injuries and the impact that they've had on him and his and his Arsenal career. You know, there have been some really good moments and you think back to that hat-trick he got against Galatasaray and we were all very encouraged by that. But since then, a lot of time has, um, a lot of time has passed and uh, he, he's been, I think, badly affected by the injuries. I think he's one of those players who is who is a likely departure in the summer because of his contractual situation and because of the fact he hasn't really established himself in any one position or with any regularity in the team. You know, he's a great athlete. Uh, he's quick and he's strong, but because of the fact he hasn't played as much or as regularly as he would want to play, I don't think he's he's developed Um and you would wonder about whether it's the right thing or not to give him a contract. He's a, a striker. Arsene Wenger said last week, I, he's you know my favourite position for Welbeck is striker, but we've got Lacazette, we've got Aubameyang now, and is he going to get a run of games as striker, and can he contribute enough um, from the wide positions? Uh, I don't think he looks always particularly happy there. <sighs> I mean, he's a decent squad player, but that's all he's ever going to be. And maybe... It's time to be a bit more ruthless and to to uh, to make decisions on players a bit sooner than we have done in the past. So yeah, I I would see him as a potential departure. What what do you think? Yeah, I think there's a really high chance of that. I mean, he's he's 27. He'll be 28 uh, later this year, and I do wonder if he stays at this point. Does he is he in danger of sort of falling into that? kind of Gibbsy, Walcotty comfort zone, you know, where he kind of knows that he's not really going to be a first team player, but he's just, you know, making up the numbers essentially. I do think that there was definitely, there have been various points in his Arsenal career where it looked like he could be more than that. Um, I mean, probably even as recently as the FA Cup final last season, I thought he gave an outstanding performance in that game and looked like a player coming back to somewhere like his best but he's not been able to maintain that mm. and I do think injuries have been part of it but I do think as well technically he's not really developed into the goal scorer that it looked like he, he might become and it's Arsene Wenger has worked wonders with some strikers and changed you know a guy like Adebayor who really sort of couldn't hit a barn door in his first couple of mm. seasons at Arsenal into a 30-goal player. He, he hasn't quite managed that with Welbeck. His movement in the box isn't quite sharp enough. His touch isn't quite good enough. And his finishing, it does lack conviction. So mm. I had high hopes for him, actually, against Ostersons. I thought this might be a really good game for him to, you know, uh, I don't know, find a bit of confidence, you know, get a cu- on the score sheet a couple of times. But everything that came his way, he seemed to squander not make the most of it after the match Martin Keown and Jermaine Genus in the in the studio did make the point that maybe he was a little bit reserved because of the surface I think that when you've had a history of knee injuries Mm. playing on a pitch like that isn't ideal but it certainly didn't go the way that he would have hoped for and I do wonder if time is kind of running out for him to prove his worth Arsenal you know a matter of months ago people were saying oh can they get well back to tie a new deal and now it's really not a priority at all, isn't it? And it feels like an exit is, is very plausible mm. this summer. Plus, you've got to think about what Welbeck might want at this point in his career. Does he want to remain a bit part player at a big club like Arsenal? Or does he want to maybe move a bit sideways or downwards to play more regularly? And I think that's a consideration mm. um, when it comes to to this particular situation as well. Um, right, here's a question from Tristan Lamond. 
Uh, I read that first as Tristan Lemon D, which could be his rap name if he ever wanted to go down that way. Lemon D. Yeah. Anyway, he says, do you think the new sponsorship deal with Emirates will act as a statement of intent from Ivan Gazidis, showing what he's capable of delivering for Arsenal and strengthening his power over Arsene Wenger? I don't know, really. I can't. I mean, obviously, we haven't seen any figures officially attached to this deal yet. Mm. So it's kind of difficult to assess. The only thing that I would say strikes me about it, and I'm by no means a commercial expert, is that it's quite a long deal as compared to the ones that, you know, other big clubs seem to sign. And Mm. I do slightly worry about our tendency to lock ourselves into long term agreements uh, at a time when the financial landscape of football can shift so dramatically and so quickly. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean, that what's a good deal now is not necessarily a good deal in two years' time. Um, Two years down the line, yeah. yeah. So, well, uh, you know, maybe it saves them hassle. Maybe that's the thinking. We don't have to keep, you know, hassling and hustling, looking for shirt sponsorships, and maybe they... Maybe they like the consistency of uh, the brand associations. Maybe they feel there's something a bit more um, worthwhile about that. I don't know. Maybe they just like getting free fucking air miles. (laughs) Maybe. I mean, I think the brand consistency is probably uh, an influence. And, you know, if you're going to fly with an airline, by all means, make it one that lets you take a Falcon on the plane. Yes. But I do wonder if... (laughs) You know, we say, like, you know, they don't have to deal with this going forward. But with the appointment of uh, Raul Sanyehi and uh, Ansvan Mislintat to that point, this really is the kind of thing that Gazeta should be focused on. No? Mm. The, the commercial side is really his responsibility at this point because there is plenty of other expertise coming in on the football side. So, uh, you know, I do, I do slightly worry about the longevity of the deal. All I can hope is that, as we kind of alluded to earlier, maybe there's opportunity for other commercial, commercial agreements to be found in that time period. So be that shirt sleeve sponsors or, you know, other tie-ins in, a, in and around the stadium that that might boost the coffers. Because I'm sure it's plenty of money, but I just, uh, we've been in this position before where we do what looks like a great deal. Mm. And then six months later, a rival goes and massively outstrips that. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Or the deal becomes less valuable because of the market or, or what the market is prepared to pay for things yeah. like that. And I think there is certainly an issue with Ars- Arsenal's uh, commercial revenue. It can be improved significantly. I think the club have fallen behind in that regard. Um, Jeremy Wilson wrote a piece in The Telegraph and the the figures stand out here. Arsenal's commercial income was respectively $127 million and 184 million behind Manchester City and Manchester United last year. That's huge. Now, I know United are this behemoth, and I don't think we can, I don't think it's realistic to say we should um, generate as much commercial revenue as a club like Manchester United. Um, Manchester City's, I do wonder if there is something with that figure. Is it being propped up by the ownership, uh, you know, commercial deals that are done in? cahoots with, uh, you know, the the people who own the country, the nation state that owns the club. Um, I I do wonder if that's had an impact as well. Uh, But it is a a shortfall that they have to make up. And 
if this then allows them, if this new long deal allows them to concentrate on getting other commercial partners, then great. But like you, I would have some concerns that uh, over the course of the deal, we might be thinking this is not actually um, quite as lucrative as we thought. And just while you're mentioning um, Falcons, did you see the story last month about the woman who was turned away from a United Airlines flight in the US because she tried to take her emotional support peacock on board with her? (laughs) No way. For real. A United Airlines passenger who tried to take her emotional support peacock with her on a cross-country flight has had the bird turned away by the airline because of health and safety concerns. She is a New uh, York-based photographer and performance artist called Ventico. says she bought a ticket for her peacock, Dexter, so he would have his own seat on Sunday's flight from New Jersey's Newark Liberty International Airport to Los Angeles. And apparently, um, United Airlines uh, have had a a tightening on their policies when it comes to emotional support animals um, in recent weeks because... Uh, people were just literally taking the piss, like bringing peacocks on, whatever. You know, people have their emotional support animals like dogs and, uh, you know, those kind of things. But a peacock, yeah. Imagine a peacock on board with like a load of falcons. Would they just have a big fight? Would that be what happens? Is that like the, the, like West Side Story for birds? Just on board? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't know, yeah. I mean, that's an an amazing idea. I mean, if the peacock opens its tail feathers, it's too big for the seat. So Mm. buying it one seat isn't really sufficient. I mean, it wouldn't... If if its tail's open, it can't even get through the door of the plane. So, uh, yeah, that's... Fair fucks to her for trying, though. Do you know what I mean? She had a go. She tried to get the peacock on. She at did. what point do you think they stopped the peacock boarding? At what point do you think they intervened? I think it was at a... Uh, check-in? Yeah, I think so. I think so. She was posted pictures of herself in the airport with the peacock perched on her travel bag and and everything else. So, um, yeah, it's it's a bit strange. There's a, a an article on the Washington Post which says that people have been taking the animal thing to uh, ridiculous levels. For example, uh, a duck wearing a nappy wandering around uh, an airplane, or a, fl- <laughs> a flight attendant being asked to administer oxygen to a dog that its owner claimed was having an anxiety attack mid-flight. So, yeah, it's a bit it's a bit of a strange one, but. Uh, there you go. Anyway, the world of planes and animals is a strange one, as we well know. Your question. My question. Um, I actually had a plane-related question. Shall I do it now? I'll do it now. It's Why not? It's remiss not to. Samuel Wahlberg, who's at Sam Watt on Twitter, says, if birds never existed, would airplanes still have been invented? And if so, what would they look like? <laughs> um... Wow. But it's if, a good question, right? Yeah. I don't know even know like how ha- to make sense of that. Um have we copied the design of a plane from a bird? I guess so. It's like a body with wings, right? It's essentially the same thing, but airplanes, you know, they don't flap. Um which I Thank think God. is a shame. I think that's a real really? shame. Yeah, I think it, it would be much better if airplanes had wings that flapped. That would be hilarious, wouldn't it? Would that not just be the funniest thing of all time? Like you're coming into land and you're just seeing these gigantic wings flapping away. Um, but yeah, w- would anything have flown then? Because we had dinosaurs that flew. Didn't we? Pterodactyls, did they not fly? Yeah, they did. I mean, and, and there are other flying animals like bats, right? But they've got wings as well. It's essentially the same design, you know, body with wings. I heard an anecdote over the weekend about 
my grandfather once trying to kill a bat with fly spray, <laughs> which <laughs> made me chuckle. A bat got in the house and he, his instinct was to get like insect repellent and try and take it down. Right. Some sort of toxic war on the bats. There was that famous yeah. video from a couple of weeks back, wasn't there, where a bat got inside into the, the house oh, of a, Irish, an Irish family. Yeah. I think they were down in Kerry somewhere. They ended up on the they ended up on the Jimmy Kimmel show. Catch him, catch him, boy! Um, but yeah, I don't know what the answer out. is. I don't know what the answer is to to that question because, like, I mean, helicopters. Would we have had helicopters? Could we? I don't know. But that's sort of lifted from, I don't know, a dragonfly, maybe as a piece of design, mm. or a hummingbird. Well, I guess no. all all design. Kind of emulates nature to an extent. Yeah. We don't have an answer to that we question. We can't answer this question. Sorry, it was a good question, though. Yeah, it was good. Um, this is um, Midfield Corporal, who's at Midfield Corp on Twitter. And he asks, in the light of the Hector Bellerin controversy that has uh, stormed throughout the week, he says, mm. having read the torrent of abuse Hector Bellerin has received on Instagram from his own fans, can we really expect our players to treat their time at the club as anything more than a job. We expect loyalty, but we show none. That is a really good question. I, you know, we've touched on the, the, uh, the abuse that players are, are subjected to on social media mm-hmm. in the last couple of weeks. And I think everyone knows our thoughts on that. And I think it would certainly have an effect. I think probably most of them can compartmentalize it and say, well, if someone's going to talk to me like that or treat me like that, then they're not really worth dealing with. You know, they're, these people are not necessarily representative of uh, the vast majority of Arsenal fans who would never abuse a player uh, on social media, whether they liked the player or didn't like the player, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they wouldn't resort to that kind of thing. So I think there's probably an ability on their part to just dismiss these people and dismiss what they say, even if human nature being what it is, it would sting to to be abused by um, people who are supposedly your own fans. But yeah, it, it, I think we do have to to think about that. You know, for footballers, it is a job. That's all it is. And they can have a connection with a club and they can love a club and they can do great things for a club. Um, and then they can go and play for a different club. And it doesn't mean that the connection they have with that club is is gone or what they feel about that club is gone. That, you know, you could grow up, for example, as a, a young kid at Arsenal and go and uh, play in the first team. And then when the club decides that you're not good enough or you're not up to it anymore, they'll move you on. I mean, think about w- uh, what they did with David Rowcastle, for example. You know, Rowcastle came through the ranks. He was a hero. Everyone loved David Rowcastle. But the club decided, because of what was going on with his knees, etc., that, okay, we don't want you here anymore. And we're going to accept a bid. And David Rowcastle is crying in his car because he doesn't want to leave the club that he loves. The circumstances are different if a player, for example, agitates for a move. Then he becomes a villain, right? He becomes... Uh, a bad guy, but you know it's it's pantomime stuff, really, for the most part. Uh, I think as you get older, you get more uh, uh, more okay with players moving on, and you can understand perhaps their reasoning for moving on rather than casting them as a as a villain straight away. But uh, yeah, I didn't really see too much of what was um, aimed at Hector Bellerin. 
for what I thought was fairly spurious reasons. You know, I can understand it upset a couple of people who um, decided that they had to continue to make it about themselves uh, and respond. But in reality, if you're out there week after week after week, providing your opinions on something and then you disagree with somebody else's opinion or you disagree with their right to have that opinion, um, then you're just kind of a hypocrite, right? Yeah, I think so. And I would say, actually, I, I actually only got round to watching the Bella in Q&A uh, this morning before we spoke. Mm. I thought I'd better sort of clue myself up on it. And I thought he was a real credit to himself and to the club. I, I think he comes across as a very intelligent, very self-aware very mature guy of 22 years old. Mm. And I, I just think, if you think about the stereotype of a footballer, you know, he's he's the antithesis of that in so many ways. And I think they're primarily positive ways. I, I, I understand that fans, you know, want players to listen to their views. But... If you if you were completely open to that sort of thing, if you if you took everything on board that every fan said, you would be a mess. You know, you couldn't perform mm. in your job, uh, and that degree of distance is absolutely necessary. Uh, and it, and Bellin at the end of the day says, if a coach comes to me and gives me some advice, I'll take that. And granted, look, his performances might not be quite at the level that some might hope or expect, but I do think that the responsibility for that has to be with the coaches you know it's it's not it's not up to us to, to instruct him how to play or how to live his life um yeah and and I actually came out of it think that with a really high opinion of Bellerin and I I hope he's at Arsenal for a long time I think he seems like a, a top guy and I feel for him a bit that he's been subjected to this criticism yeah I think it's been ridiculously over over the top. You know, he spoke for 45 minutes at the Oxford Union. He had a lot to say about life as a footballer, uh, his life in London, learning to live uh, there after coming from Spain, uh, you know, his training, what he does off the pitch, how it doesn't impact on his uh, focus on the pitch. You know, the the... the thing that some people find very difficult to understand is that footballers are people that they have lives outside of football, that they have interests outside of football, but it doesn't make them any less uh, focused or professional. You know, you see people talking about Bellerin's clothes as if that has any bearing whatsoever on what he does on the pitch. They talk about his hair, which has no bearing whatsoever to anything that he does on the pitch. And, you know, we've spoken about this before. There uh, are top managers out there, Pep Guardiola, top of them, who would take Bellerin off our hands tomorrow if he could. Mm. And that should tell you more about him as a player than what he wears or what he does in his free time, his fashion. I mean, it's just, uh, it's ludicrous to focus on those things uh, as somehow uh, reflective of him as a, as a footballer. And I, I think he speaks brilliantly in, in that uh, in that video. You know, when he talks about uh, helping charities, when he talks about mental health, when he talks about racism, when he talks about football, when he talks about just his own life, like you, I think he comes across really, really well. I think it's a shame that people have been blindsided by 30 seconds of that video and a real storm in a teacup, which means, you know, it's just irrelevant. 
it's a complete storm in a teacup. It's a it's an excuse for some people to make the issue about them or to to self promote. And I don't mean uh, uh, Robbie or Arsenal Fan TV as a channel per se. You know, uh, Robbie's always been very clear that he gives people the uh, the chance to to have their opinions, and I think he said himself, Hector Bellerin is is exactly uh, entitled to to his opinion. But you know, everything that happens these days, it seems like there has to be a drama. There seems there has to be some kind of crisis, some absurdity around something which is just irrelevant. And if after watching that Hector Bellerin video, the thing you're getting, the thing you take away most, are some throwaway comments then you're, I, I think you're missing out because it's well worth a watch. And I think he, he is a credit, as you say, to the club and, and to himself. Um, mm. Whether people agree with him or disagree with him about what he said about Arsenal fan TV, that's fine. But, you know, it is okay to disagree with someone. You don't have to abuse them for it. You don't have to call them names. You don't need to, you know, make a big song and dance about things. Just, oh, okay, he doesn't agree with me or I don't agree with that. That's fine. Life goes on. Your life goes on. His life goes on. And that's basically it. I agree. And if you haven't seen it, it is worth checking out because despite the headlines, there is some really interesting stuff in there. And it's an insight into uh, his character and his personality. And uh, yeah, he comes great in it. So do do give it a watch. Mm. Um, I should probably let you do a question eventually. You probably should. Um, I, I should find one, shouldn't I? Yeah. Uh, Okay. If you've got one, if, if not, I, I'll go again. I'm 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 fire. Uh, yeah. If you've got one, okay. Uh, here is one from uh, Ayushman Mohan, who's at Ayushman Mohan, who's got a, a picture of him and his dog as his avatar. Very smiley dog. Anyway, he says, "What would be your all-time best starting eleven of left-footed players? All Arsenal, of course." Oh, that's a great question. Mm. As a lefty myself, I, you know, it's a subject close to my heart. Yeah. Um, but, well, I would. the only caveat I would provide is that my knowledge doesn't extend back particularly far. So, you know, in the 70s and 80s, you might have to come to my aid a bit. Here. Okay. But in the, do you want to do it together or should we yeah, do it Yeah, let's do it together. Let's do it together. I don't know if we've had a left-footed goalkeeper, have we? Better check. Well, we have one now. Yeah. We have one now. Um, He's the only left-footed goalkeeper I can remember. Um, yeah, I, he's the only one I can think of as well. Well, should we go with Czech then for the for the time being? Yeah, but could we do um, like um, could we do like twenty four year old Czech? Would that be fine? Pretend he never went yeah, to Chelsea, okay. and we can have yeah. twenty four year old Czech rather than the, okay, this version. Um, now, obviously, at the back, you've got a lot of options. Obviously, Mikel Silvestre is the one you're all screaming at home. But, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't know if how you do it. Do you have a back four? Yeah, someone's got to play right back. Four four two. We're going to make it simple. Four four two. Nothing crazy. Okay. So I think um, I think I think Winterburn uh, as a right back because he played a bit at right back. I think he might have played half a season or so at right back. So he could he could do it no, even though he's yeah even though he's one of the most left footed players of all time. You're right. He did in '87 or something like that. He did play right back. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that frees up left back. I suppose you've got you've got Kenny Sampson. You've got Ashley Cole. Mm, I don't think we can choose Ashley, can we? Even though you know time has passed no. and you know so and all that. Yeah, okay. I think it's it's wrong. Sansom, Kenny. Sansom. Any other strong contenders? Sansom seems yeah, a good one, right? Yeah, yeah. 
Centre halves. What about centre halves? Well, Vermalen. Vermalen. Uh, I can't really think before that. No one. None of Bold, Keown, Adams. No. Campbell, Torre. No. Squalacci. All right footers. Um, mm. I, yeah. What about. Yeah. I can only think Vermalen. I'm going to put Vermalen in. He's done well to get in. Yeah. Uh, Sylvester is the other one, of course, but there's no way that's happening. We can't do that. <laughs> uh, there must be one. Could we play I'm, Santi Cazorla? I mean, He's kind of left-footed when he wants to be. question. That is a fascinating question, isn't it? What mm. can, can Cazorla play? I think he counts because he's, you know, he's both-footed, right? Yeah, even though he is technically right-footed. Hmm. Well, what if we put... Can we put Emmanuel Petit in at centre-half? Yeah, yeah, let's like do that. Cheat. Yeah, he played centre-half okay. for Monaco, so that's not a problem at all. Okay. He could easily slot back in there. So so that's the back four. Right. Winterburn, Vermaelen, Petit, Sansom. Mm-hmm. Into the midfield we go. Yeah. Liam Brady, obviously. Brady is the obvious one. Yeah. Um, other contenders, Meza Ozil. Yeah. He's got to be in there for sure. Um, um, who else? Uh, Reyes? Could we play Reyes? Reyes. On the left side of midfield? Wilshire. Jack Wilshire. Could we play Reyes? Jack Wilshire, maybe. Wilshire on the right? Uh, what foot was Andenpar? Was he right-footed? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Glenn Helder. <laughs> was, I think he was right-footed um, as well, was he? Was he left-footed or right-footed? Maybe he was. Mark Overmars was primarily right-footed, wasn't yeah. he? And yeah. And Emmanuel, uh, Robert Pires, of course. Right-footed, um, yeah. Well, we've got Wilshire, Brady, Ozil and Reyes. That's a decent... Um, it's not bad, is it? It's not bad. It's probably I mean, lacking like a little bit Van Persie? I think we... That's my question. Yeah. If we can't... Ooh, I mean, thinking about left-footed strikers at Arsenal, the only other one I can read that's off the top of my head is Cabadillawara. <laughs> well, Olivier Giroud. Oh, yes, of course. Um, yeah. Eduardo. Oh, okay, yeah, fuck Van Persie, uh, uh, Eduardo and, and Giroud. Eduardo and Giroud. Yeah. Uh, so that that leaves us with an 11 of Czech, Winterburn, Vermaelen, Petit, Sansom, Brady, Ozil, Reyes, Wilshire, mm. Eduardo and Giroud. It would be artistic. Honourable mention to Edu. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Maybe Edu would add a bit of balance to that uh, to that midfield, rather than Reyes, yeah. who's a bit more of a forward, you know. But do we yeah. really care about strong and stable at this point? No, we're just Not getting really. as many flair yeah. players in there, as many cultured left foots as we can possibly get in. Um, a decent little team there, and I think yeah, there is an argument as well. You could probably try and squeeze Kazola in because you know nobody really knows. Yeah, exactly. Um, he could fool everyone. If I'm he, sure if, we've forgotten some people. Yeah. No, sure doubt. no doubt. No doubt. They will. Yeah, they'll be like, I can't believe you forgot whoever it was that we've forgotten. Probably somebody great. Oh, well, I'll tell you one we've forgotten who could have played centre half Nacho Monreal. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. He could play centre half. He has played centre half. But uh, who have we got in there? Petit oh, well. and Vermalen? Yeah. Vermalen's not bad. It's a bit flaky. It's a bit flaky. <laughs> I wouldn't have a lot of confidence, you know, particularly playing behind a, a central midfield of Ozil and 
And uh, no, anyway, look, let's not do down our team. We got there in the end. Um, right. Have you got one more question before we uh, call it a day? Well, I mentioned actually Nacho Monreal. Somebody asked a question about him. What was it? Uh, oh, it was from Hawk Dad. Great name. I don't know if he is a hawk. I don't know if he's has fathered a hawk. But mm. Hawk Dad at KH Nashi says, is there something in the Arsenal game plan that has freed up Nacho Monreal? Or has he just stepped up his game? He is on fire. He is with the goal scoring, isn't he? Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think players just go through little streaks of scoring goals. Uh, it can happen. Um, think about Thomas Vermaelen, for example. In his first season, yeah. he was goal scorey O'Toole, wasn't he? He was just banging them in from all over the place. So I think it just happens. I don't think there's anything that's particularly uh, deliberate about it in terms of how we set up the team. It's not like Arsene Wenger is going, now, how will I... How will I sort this team out? What tactics will I use to ensure that Nacho Monreal is at his most potent in the final third? I don't think that's really what's going on. Um, sure. I think it's just a nice little streak. <laughs> I think it's a nice little streak. Yeah, that's it. I think he's got into the habit. I mean, the, the run, I believe, the run of goals started before he switched to left back. I'm not sure 100% about that, but I think he was still playing at centre-half in the three when he mm. when he started out on this blistering spell of form. But maybe he's been helped a little bit as well by the move to a back four. He can, you know, he was playing as the third centre-back previously and now he's a full-back, can overlap and get forward a bit more. But a lot of it's from set pieces, which... Frankly, nobody saw coming. Uh, yeah. a bit like Cochrane's goal for Valencia. Yeah. He did. He did get a good goal last season in the semi-final, didn't he? Against um, Manchester City, I think it was his equaliser. One of those where he arrived at the back post. He's got a nice ability mm. to arrive at the back post in time uh, if the ball in is good enough. So another goal on uh, Sunday will be very nice from Nacho. Um, very nice. Assuming, of course, that it's not ruled out by the assistant to the assistant of the assistant video assistant referee. That would be my main concern yes. about Sunday. You know that'll be my main concern. But then let's not forget the the main man, the the man in the middle, the man in black, the referee. Man City fans are already panicking. What a yeah. lovely feeling that is to be the team the referee supposedly favours. I love it. Yeah, maybe he'll work against us though, because we were like that with Anthony Taylor going into the FA Cup final, and he worked out very well for us. He sent off Victor Moses. Um, you know, so who knows? Ultimately, I, I, I would be very um, hopeful that the game is not decided by the referee or the referee's decisions or the assistant to the referee or the referee's assistant assistant or the assistant video assistant assistant referee's assistant. To the... um, yeah, we'll, we'll hope it's just a good game of football, right? Yeah, absolutely. And let's not forget. The big one is first, Thursday night. Thursday night against Ostersund. So uh, will we make it into the, the round of 16 into in the Europa League? I hope so. hope so. Keep, yeah. keep things alive, nice. keep things interesting. Um, yeah. Because of that game uh, taking place on Thursday night, we are going to do an extra Arsecast extra on Friday morning because that's probably the best way to get a podcast on this week. Um, so, so join us for that thank you as ever for listening to this one uh, it has been relatively Arsenal free but that's kind of out of our hands hope you've enjoyed the show anyway and uh, we'll catch you on Friday until then bye bye
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.